Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. No Shahan this week, he's off. So we have good friend of the pod, Mike Rodak of AL.com, here to talk about the Alabama spring game. We're going to touch on the LSU spring game a little bit later. We're going to touch on some Bama culture stuff later. But we really want to dedicate, Mike, this, this edition of the podcast as we run through all the best teams from spring. Bama's Bama. Bama is so defining. And even when they're not the national champs, it feels like so much of the sport revolves around where Bama is. And is Bama on top? Is Bama climbing? Is Bama mad? Saban, Saban's Bama is Bama. So I want to devote a big chunk of this pod to Alabama. And we're going to start off by talking about the quarterbacks. So I have a proposal later about the quarterbacks, but we'll start off with your thoughts on watching Alabama's spring game on Saturday. Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow, Jalen Milrow, 19 of 37 for 245. Ty Simpson, 12 of 26 for 155. Some drops in there. Saban right after the game was like, man, we had a bunch of drops. So stats don't tell the whole story. Overall, before we get into specifics of the competition, what did you think of the level of quarterback play? And they threw a couple freshmen out there too, four scholarship quarterbacks getting some run. Did you think the quarterbacks played well? Did you think they flashed? Did you think they were uneven? What did you think? So this was the third spring game that I've covered since I've been on the beat because I came in 2019 after that spring game. 2020 was canceled. So I've covered the last three spring games. And so I've seen Bryce Young in the last two spring games and then no Bryce Young. And and this spring game, and there's a difference Um, when you're talking about likely number one overall pick and someone who's a Heisman Trophy winner and was top quarterback prospect in the country. um, We all know what Bryce Young can do. And there's a drop off. There is an absolute drop off from him to what we watched on Saturday. Even when you go back and I think look at Bryce in a spring game, which, which I don't think is full, the full Monty of Bryce. Um, like even last year, I don't think he had a spectacular spring game by any means, but I think it was still better than what we saw, um, on Saturday. And that's not to say it was terrible. I think the biggest word you even listen to the ESPN broadcast that came up when, and those guys talking to Saban and Tommy Reese was just consistency and just very inconsistent, uh, between the two quarterbacks because there has been flashes. Um, but overall the product is not consistent. There was too many mistakes, um, most notably Jalen Milrow's interception that 
he was backed up in the end zone, facing pressure, just kind of heaved it up willy nilly. You know, the safety caught it like a center fielder and ran it back to the one yard line. Like that, I think was the defining play of the game because I think more than anything else, that's the play that's just going to irritate and eat away at Nick Saban. Um, that sort of interception, that sort of mistake. So we didn't see that with Bryce. Like that's not a mistake that Bryce really ever made, uh, even when he was young and, and just kind of beginning. Um, so that's the difference. And I, I do think there's been a, a drop off in the quarterback play overall. You know what the reason for that is, you know, they they recruited Tua was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Bryce is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Mac was not. Mac Jones was a three star kid who I think turned into something better. The recruiting has dropped off just a little at quarterback. Jalen Milrow came in when Bryce was already there. I, I, you might have a hard time getting a five-star quarterback to come in when you already have Bryce Young. Um, Ty Simpson, though, was borderline five-star. He dropped off a little bit towards the end in terms of recruiting rankings. Um, I think it was four-star on, on rivals, five-star in 24-7. Um, it just hasn't overall looked like that elite can't-miss talent. We haven't seen a ton of him, but you don't get the sense that he's the sort of quarterback that Nick Saban sitting there saying we absolutely need to put Ty Simpson on the field. And Ty Simpson's been here 17 months because he enrolled early. It was part of their bowl practice in December of 2021. Spent all last season, the 2022 season at Alabama and all this spring. So at some point, if that talent is there, if that can't miss talent is there, you kind of expect it to show up, you know, 17 months in. I'm not sure that it has. But you do see, again, flashes of what Ty can do. You've seen flashes of what Jalen Milrow can do, which I think is more about his legs and his speed and his running ability than it is his arm. Um, and you're just kind of left with where do you go from here? That, that's really the biggest question coming out of the spring game is what's next. The guys on the broadcast were saying that Tommy Reese was talking a lot about pocket presence, and you want to see that, the decision-making and the pocket presence. And if you're comparing that to Bryce Young, you are going to lose. Nobody is going to look good compared to Bryce Young when it comes to pocket presence and decision-making. That guy's nimbleness in the pocket to move, never to run, almost never to run, but to move, to keep himself alive, to keep his eyes on target. It's why it's going to be the number one pick in the draft. I, we talk, Shahan and I talk about this a lot on this podcast, like the evolution at programs of guys. And when you go from Jalen Hurt to Tua Tonga Vailoa to Mac Jones to Bryce Young, to me, it's like, well, how do you get better? I don't know. I guess maybe you could get Caleb Williams to transfer to Alabama tomorrow, like that kind of thing. But I don't even know that that's better. Might be as good as Bryce. Bryce is Bryce. So you have to assume there's going to be a step back. Like, Bama has to be prepared, so it's how big of a step back. They were talking the idea that with Bill O'Brien, Mike, former offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien and Bryce Young, that pairing, it's a quarterback-centric offense. Hey, Bryce, make the reads, find the progression, make the throw. We trust you to do everything. With Tommy Reese and these quarterbacks, it may not be as quarterback-centric. Pull back the playbook, lean on your receivers, lean on your running backs. We'll talk about the other skill guys later. Is that going to happen? Will that make this, I don't know what the right word is, not matter quite as much that the quarterback's not, not Bryce Young if the offense isn't about the quarterback as much as it was the last two seasons? Yeah, you, you almost heard Saban telegraphing that a little bit going back towards last season i think it was november he does his weekly radio show um and he was talking this was before you know the season was even over before bryce young was even gone he was saying that 
Alabama did a lot of drop back passing with Bryce Young, a lot of quarterback centric stuff, if you will. And he was even saying next year, we'd like to get back to more balance. Um, and when he ever says balance, he kind of, the, the bells go off because he, he means the running game. Um, yep. And so, and it didn't have a great running game. I mean, I, statistically it was there, but there was times when they just couldn't run the ball when they needed to. I don't think Jameer Gibbs was like the between the tackles sort of player they could really rely on. He was an explosive, dynamic player outside of tackles and space, but end of the Tennessee game, they needed the first down. Um, you know, they needed to burn some clock and they couldn't run the ball and they had to get to throwing and it didn't work. And Tennessee got the ball back and they won the game. And and that I think really sticks in Saban's craw. When you think of Alabama historically, just being able to line up and run and just beat people. And they couldn't really do that last year. Um, but that's also not how college football games are typically won these days. And that's something Saban's talked about for years now, six or seven years where it's everything's about the quarterback and the passing game and the spread. And, um, you know, we've gone away from wad ball, as he likes to call it. So they've they've been ahead of the curve on that. When they had that offense with Tua and Ruggs and Judy and Waddle and Devontae Smith with Mac Jones, like they were the premier passing offense in college football. They were doing what other teams couldn't do. Um, but if you don't have, A, the quarterback to do that, or B, the receivers, and I'm not sure they have either, then they're kind of left to try to win a different way. And that's where I think this whole – let's go back to the the balance and physicality and dominating running game and all those, you know, sort of themes of this off season have come up um, really again from last season, all the way through this April where Saban has been talking about it, you know, offensive linemen have been talking about it, et cetera. And, you know, can you, I, I think it like, you're right. It's something that they kind of need to do because that's where they are at quarterback. Can you win that way? Can you win games? Yes, you can win games that way. Can you win a national title that way? It's going to be tough. I think you really have to combine it with a dominating defense. Um, and I know people kind of point to Georgia the last couple of years as not, maybe not being the most explosive passing team, but they were still – they could put points on the board through the air. I mean, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington and uh, Pickens the year before, like they had players who could really do some damage in the air. Stetson Bennett you know, was still a productive quarterback. So I don't think you can just – simply point to that model as, yeah, you can win a national championship that way. Um, so that's that's kind of where they're stuck to some extent is if the quarterback's not good enough and the wide receivers aren't good enough, and they're good, but they're not elite, then you kind of have to lean on the running game. And they do have a guy who they really like who could become that you know Heisman candidate at some point, Justice Haynes, you know, the freshman, five-star kid, the son of a uh, former NFL running back, Ron Haynes. It's had a great spring, had three touchdowns in the spring game. If you can build your offense around him, you know, maybe you got a shot, but even like a, a Texas offense last year that was built around Bajan Robinson, the best running back in the country, didn't really quite have enough juice to win a national title. So it's a tough spot for him. We're going to talk later about Saban and the idea of Georgia sort of stealing what Alabama does and winning with it and Saban acknowledging it this week. Actually, maybe Saban could steal something here. You're not going to get a Bryce Young, a quarterback. Try to get a Stetson Bennett. Like, get that level of play. Because by the end, Stetson Bennett was winning games for Georgia. Stetson Bennett won the Missouri game for Georgia last year when they needed him to. You don't need to do it all the time. You run the ball. You make nice little easy throws for guys. But you're not going to have Bryce Young. But here's my proposal, Mike. Here, I have the answer. And I know you have a direct line to Nick. 
you're welcome to pass this along. Play them both. Uh, Watching the spring game, it feels like to me the possible answer at quarterback is both. And not, and and this is, we talk, I'm, I'm obsessed with this idea. Doing things from strength, not weakness. So listen, you're not doing, this is not two first round draft picks at quarterback who are ready to go to the NFL right now. But I do think they both, Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, both do have strengths. And the thing that I'm, from listening and watching, Mike, just the spring game, you're there all spring. The guys at the broadcast were a little bit like, hey, Ty Simpson looks like he's had a good day. He looks in control. And I was like, Does he, is he actually as in control in yours as you're trying to make him out to be? And then Jalen Miller, they're talking about he's inconsistent. But Jalen Miller hits a couple sideline shots, nice balls. Yeah, a couple mistakes. I don't think the answer for Bama is a world where Jalen Milrow is not part of the offense. You don't want to throw out the Lamar Jackson name, but he's the. I think he's the fastest college quarterback I've ever seen. The the zero to sixty, his touchdown run, he shot out of a cannon. It reminds me, not exactly, but a little bit what Ohio State did with Braxton Miller, where Braxton Miller had a good arm and then he was unbelievable running the ball. And you patch that together with some guys around him and you go. And it's not a pro style passing attack, but man, it can be dangerous. Mike, don't don't make Jalen Milrow the backup quarterback and be like, well, Ty Simpson makes fewer mistakes. Oh well. Jalen's number two. That's the I think that's the wrong answer here, Mike, if they go that way. Yeah. And I mean, Milrow had the the 70 yard touchdown run against Arkansas last year when he came in for Bryce. And um, yeah, if you're running the Milrow offense, it's going to be more quarterback run based option runs. Um, I did that's a little bit on Saturday. A big hole opens and you're right. He has the burst. He has the speed to do that. He's one of their the best athletes on the team, if not the best athlete. So um, that's there. And, and that was there last year, too. I mean, I remember beginning of last year, Saban kind of floating the idea of, you know, let's get Milrow on the field. Um, special packages, I think, was kind of the the term that he used. And it really never happened other than Bryce's injury because uh, it's tough to take Bryce Young off the field. Um, obviously, now it's different. It, let's just hypothetically go down that road. Ty Simpson's your starter. I think it's easier to take Ty Simpson off the field than it would be Bryce Young. Uh, I, I do think the the downside of that is not having sort of the alpha, like everybody knowing who the starting quarterback is, having that undisputed leader, flip-flopping back and forth, having every drive, every throw scrutinized by fans of, um, you know, Ty Simpson threw an incomplete pass. Like they should put Milrow in there and the Milrow's in there. He did this. Oh, they should put Ty back in there. And I think, you know, to some extent, Saban went down that road was it five years ago now you know, with um, Jalen Hurts and, and Tua. And that that's what spawned the whole, uh, the, after the Louisville game to start that season when he was yelling at M- Maria Taylor about, you know, stop asking me about the quarterbacks. And it, I, I don't know if he wants to be facing those questions every week of who's your starter, why is this guy playing more than the other one, um, and not having that certainty, that clear-cut guy. I think there's there's a downside to that to that strategy, but – uh, Milrow does offer that explosive ability. I, I do think to, in Saban's mind, the mistakes from Milrow are overriding that. Even when he was in there last year, he played a little bit against Utah State in the opener through an interception, um, started against Texas A&M through two interceptions, I believe, and had two fumbles. Um, and then was in there later against Austin P for like a drive or two at the end of the year through an interception. And uh, that, 
that stuff will really bug Nick Saban if you're making those sort of mistakes and turning the ball over like that. And, and ball security has been a big thing that Saban's talked about with Milrow. So um, there's, again, there's downsides to doing that. And I think the other question that comes to mind there is, would they both be here in Tuscaloosa to be part of a, a dual quarterback system in September? Um, because I think in the transfer portal windows open till Saturday, the 30th, and it's open for Alabama to bring quarterbacks in too. Like there, this may not be the same situation that we're talking about a week from now that we are now um, in terms of does Alabama bring somebody in? And I think the the latest name to go into the portal is Notre Dame's um, Tyler Buckner. I'm not a big 10 guy. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I'm an SEC guy through and through uh, an SEC guy from Boston, but <laughs> that's that's the name that has popped into the portal um and you know has the connection with tommy reese and was actually offered by alabama way back in, in 2018 and coming out of high school in california when alabama had steve sarkeesian uh as its coordinator and envisioning a scenario where buckner comes to alabama and joins the team this summer maybe has a little bit of a leg up in learning it's Alabama's playbook still, but maybe Tommy Reese has a connection there where that gets up to speed a little bit quicker. Does he have a chance to become the starter? And then again, it, it, there's the opportunity for Jalen Miller or Ty Simpson to transfer. Um, if they don't feel like they're, if they're, that shot isn't there for them, that opportunity to start at Alabama isn't there for them. So I'm not so sure the book is closed personnel wise on here are the two, three, four guys at quarterback for Alabama uh, in September. I don't know if, again, if that's the exact same situation as it is right now. If you think about like what Alabama has done to Notre Dame in the postseason, the idea that like, oh, what's going to happen with Alabama? Oh, they're going to they're going to take Notre Dame's offensive coordinator and maybe at Notre Dame's backup quarterback. Oh, that sounds great. That what what's happening? I don't think it is, it's exactly exciting Alabama fans. Yeah, that that possibility doesn't seem to be. Um, is too high but again it's one of those where it's not like there's plentiful options and yes there's better quarterbacks out there in college football than Jalen Miller or Ty Simpson um I think the the apple of Alabama's eye would have been Drake May at North Carolina who had committed to them um at coming out of high school and then you know changed over to North Carolina when, when Bryce Young came but he didn't want to leave North Carolina by all accounts. And then there was the whole thing last week with Miami and, and Tyler Van Dyke. And they put out that tweet saying he's committed to, to Miami and he retweets that. So it, again, I, you don't know exactly what their motivations are. These quarterbacks of, of staying at particular schools, obviously Drake may has family connections to North Carolina, but you do have to wonder about the financial aspect of it too, because that's, that's all face to facts. That's how the, the transfer portal works in 2023. And Alabama, and we've talked about this, I think, before in the podcast, NIL-wise, has they have money, but they're not, number one, in terms of money, they're not, they can't outbid people necessarily. Like, there's there's a, a limit there. So, if you're talking, you, you see these numbers thrown around with quarterbacks coming to high school, like seven figures, like that's that could be a big ask for Alabama to try to, to get somebody. And that's, again, the reality of how these things work. So. Um, you might have to look a little bit further down, maybe not bargain shopping, but a little bit further down the list. It's like NFL for agency. And that's even what Saban said. It's, it's, it's like a free agent sort of system. We could do six hours on Alabama's quarterbacks and, and 
And maybe we will. We'll see what happens. But I, I do want to ask about, is this, so it's Eli Holstein and Dylan Lonergan, right? They're the two freshmen who played? Yep, exactly. Who is the future of Alabama quarterbacking? Who is Alabama's starting quarterback in 2025? Do people believe that guy is on campus? Or are we officially at a stage where Bama's quarterback situation is it monstrously in flux, not just now, but down the road? So. I would say to the second part, I think it's true. Yes, it is in flux. I think for every team in college football, it's like a year-to-year situation at quarterback where every single offseason you're going to see tons of quarterbacks move and change teams and go to where the money is and go to where the starting opportunities are, and there's going to be that change every single offseason in college football. That's just how this current system is set up. But if I was working for you know, a, a, a gambling website, shall we say, um, and I was setting odds on who would be the starting quarterback for Alabama in, in 2025, I would say it's Julian Sayan. Now, he's the the five-star prospect who's coming in uh, as part of this next class form, the, the 2024 recruiting class, and he's top 10 sort of prospect in the country at any position. I think number one or number two quarterback. He's from California. Um, that's the closest that they've been to getting a Bryce Young in terms of recruiting ranking recruiting rating since then um and and so that's that's the next guy and he'll probably be on campus i would imagine by december and then you look at him as potentially having a chance to start as a freshman in in 2024 um you know holstein was fairly highly rated himself lonergan was fairly highly rated you know they got two top i think 12 quarterbacks this year um i think lonergan looked better out of those two in the spring game. And I think Nick Saban, even, you know, when he was talking about those two guys after the game, made it pretty clear that I think Lonergan had the better game. He also is a baseball player. And at any given moment, you know, theoretically he could go into the baseball draft or get drafted or, you know, whatever his future might be there. And he goes down a different road. And sometimes baseball is better. Like baseball has all these modern leagues and there's signing bonuses and, you know, there's potential opportunities there that just don't exist in football. And they might lose him to that. That's always a possibility. But um, he looked better than than Holstein. Now, you know, where does that leave them six months from now? I don't know. But again, I think Julian Sayan is is really the next guy at that position that would have the best shot to start a year or two down the road. Okay, I swear we have to switch positions because we have to give people a view of Bama overall. Short answer on this: Are you surprised that spring is over and we are talking about maybe they'll get Tyler Buckner? That that the Bama situation that it's not settled, or is this kind of what everybody expected, or or were you guys you know you're on the beat you're talking? Did you think hey we think there's a decent chance that somebody's going to sort of win the job this spring? Yeah, you know I I don't know if I knew exactly what to expect, and part of it's because we don't get to watch practice, um, and so this is really the first time this spring game that we saw these quarterbacks all spring, and for a guy like Ty Simpson who was their third string guy last year almost never saw the field. Like this was really the first substantial time we got to see him play. Um, and so we didn't really know what to expect from that standpoint. I, you know, I, I think I've said all along, I, I, I would imagine this goes to August. And I think, um, you know, going into the spring game, walking into the stadium on Saturday, I would have said Jalen Milrow was probably leaning towards, you know, being the starter or at least being the favorite. Um, you know, because he was leading the first team offense. They they, they divided up and, and Milrow had the first team offense and was clearly ahead of Simpson from that standpoint in, in the coach's eyes. I walked out of the stadium 
not knowing uh, quite as well. Okay. Uh, which I think would help uh, Ty Simpson's case to stay. Because if, let's say, Milrow had a really good spring, had a really good spring game, and you kind of get the sense if you're Ty Simpson that this is going to be an uphill battle, then I think that increases your odds of, of leaving. And he's, if he doesn't leave, um, if he's here after April 30th, then he's stuck here until December because of the transfer portal window rules. He's an undergraduate. He would be here all season. So he kind of has to make the decision now uh, based on only the spring information. He can't go through all of August and, and say, I want to transfer now. He can't do that. That's the way the rules are set up now. So um, you kind of have to make – it forces their hand to make a call. And I think Simpson having a better spring game improves his chances of being in position in August to win the job. You know, how much that means because there's still 20 practices in August. There's two scrimmages. There's there's a lot more to be settled there. But I don't think we're any closer right now to having an answer than we were four weeks ago. I, I can understand if Saban's talking about you can't make mistakes, you can't make mistakes. Maybe you don't want your offense to be 100% Jalen Milrow. But, man, if, if this is who it is, I think he's got to be at least 33 or 40% of the offense. The idea that you're going to go with Ty Simpson because he makes fewer mistakes and you have that electricity – because he's got an arm and he's got the legs and yeah, maybe he'll make a mistake. I also might win a game for you. I, I can't imagine you wouldn't want to work that in, but maybe something's going to change. Okay. Let's talk about the other parts of this offense. First running back room looks for deep Jace McClellan as an older guy, justice Haynes, as you mentioned as a five-star true freshman, some other guys in there. Should this be a good, deep, talented Alabama running back room that stacks up there with some of the better running back rooms we've seen there in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. I'd say among the better, they don't have a Derrick Henry, but, you know, they don't grow on trees. Derrick Henry's don't. So, um, and honestly, like I, I, Najee Harris a couple of years ago, I think, was better than what they have right now. Um, but, you know, have, it, it all depends on Justice Haynes. I think the, the most potential lies in him. Like, I think we know what Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams can do as, as kind of their one-two guys because they were the primary guys behind Gibbs last year. And there's a few games where they – the Ole Miss game, you know, second half last, last November, they – ran the ball a lot and they kind of won that game on the ground, just kind of pushing people around. And you can do that. Like, I don't think McClellan's going to break a ton of plays. I really don't think Roy Williams will. Haynes has that potential. Um, and then Richard Young is actually another five-star running back to have coming in this summer. Um, and then Jam Miller would be, you know, the current fourth guy, but we'll have to see where Young falls um, to find out where Miller falls. So, you know, Saban's talked really highly about the running backs. He says as long as they stay healthy, they're fine there. And, you know, I, they certainly are fine. Are they elite? You know, do they have a Heisman Trophy winner at running back? I don't think so. But um, I think it's better than what they've had, you know, the past two years, let's say. Receiver. You mentioned receiver earlier. They have Jermaine Burton and Corey Brooks back as the two leading receivers from a year ago who are still here. Uh, Malik Benson, five catches for 70 yards in the spring game, right, as a as a junior college addition. And then a couple younger guys, Isaiah Bond, looked pretty good. Kendrick Law looked pretty good. You know, Burton has a nice catch on a deep ball for almost a touchdown from Ty Simpson. Also had a drop in there, you know, kind of, I don't know. It seems like there's some bodies in there. Is We're not back to Waddle, Smith, Ruggs kind of territory, but I don't know. Is it? It's just a bunch of guys, but it's not that good. Or there's is there some real potential here in the receiver room? It's a bunch of guys that are good, but not elite, and that's that's a problem for him. I think it was a problem last year um, because you had Bryce Young, 
And statistically, wide receiver, there was just not that one guy who stood up. I think I even did a a study, if you will, a tweet study about halfway through the season. I think you go back to the 2020 season and six or seven games in, Devontae Smith already had like 900 receiving yards. Six or seven games in the last year, your best receiver at Alabama had like 300. Um, there was just a, a difference. You could tell it didn't have that game breaking go to. And I remember like when I first got here in 2019, I think it was a South Carolina game I covered. And it was Tua over the middle, Henry Ruggs, 10 yard slant, boom, like that 70 yard touchdown because Ruggs was so much faster than everybody else on the field. And that happened routinely that season, routinely the next season in 2020 uh, with the, all those guys that they had. And then, it, you know, they found Jamison Williams in the portal from Ohio State, and they were able to do that again in 2021. And then they tried to do that in the portal last year with Burton and then Tyler Harrell from, from Louisville. And Burton, I don't think, has that top-level speed to be that sort of guy. And he just never – he was good. He, I think he got better towards the end of the year, but he wasn't explosive, elite. Harrell just – he had a foot injury in camp and just never really seemed to get on the field. He got on the field late in the season and just was running laps. I mean, he would just run go routes down the field and then jog back, and Bryce Young wouldn't even look at him and run another go route the next play uh-huh. and jog back and then go to the sideline, and that was it would be on the field for two or three plays. You're watching from the press box and just kind of laughing about it. And then he went into the portal after the year, has not found a new team yet. So that was a bust. That was a transfer portal addition. That was a big miss by Alabama. And that was a problem for him last year. And they have not added a receiver this year. And so that leaves them with Brooks and Burton, who were the top two guys by the end of last year, but again, not elite. Um, and then Benson, who you mentioned had the five catches, well, four of those catches came on the final drive of that spring game, and they were all against a walk-on corner who they were picking on and then a walk-on safety who they were picking on, and that was the final minute of the, uh, of the fourth quarter. So before that, he only had one catch, and you know, there's been a lot of excitement, a lot of hype about him um, around Alabama among fans, and you know, it's certainly possible that he turns into that player, but it's also a big projection going from a junior college to the SEC, and I we'll just have to see what happens. I, I don't know if I'm, you know, putting him all SEC in my, my preseason ballot quite yet. Um, and then like you mentioned, Bond and Law, uh, they also have Shaz Preston from last year who was a freshman. But these these freshman classes just haven't come along like they did five years ago when I think the single freshman class, they had Judy and Devontae Smith and then Waddle the next year. And I think Ruggs was in that 2017 class. And you go back, 2020, 2021, there were seven wide receivers. Alabama got out of high school. Five of them are gone through the portal. One of them has like four catches in three seasons, Tyu Jones-Bell, and the other is Ja'Cory Brooks, who's, again, good but not great. They just recruiting at wide receivers, just it's dipped, and they haven't gotten the yeah. results that they once did. Offensive line. It looked like maybe the right tackle had some trouble on Saturday. But then Caden Proctor is there, and he's a five-star freshman, and he looked good from my vantage point. Do you think Caden Proctor could wind up starting as a true freshman on this offensive line? And overall, J.C. Latham at left tackle and some of the other guys that they have, should this line be good, or is it a question mark? Uh, So overall, I think the line has been a positive of the spring. We've heard a lot of good things about it after really the last two seasons. I don't think they were all that great. Um, especially two years ago, but 
so it was really left tackle that struggled in the spring game. It was Elijah Pritchett, who's replacing Tyler Steen, who left uh, the Vanderbilt transfer who came in last year. He's in the, the draft now. Pritchett was a freshman last year, came in the spring game, gave up five sacks by my count on, on Saturday oh. off the left edge. Um, and then Latham, elite sort of five-star kid who came in as a freshman two years ago, uh, has started at right tackle since last year, has remained at right tackle, which is actually a little bit of a surprise because there's typically uh, okay. an Alabama progression when you go back and look at Jonah Williams and Alex Leatherwood and Evan Neal and all these guys who've become first-round picks. They typically start at guard, they go to tackle, right tackle, then they go to left tackle. They're, they're three years. Um, Latham, to this point, has stayed at right tackle his, to start his third year. Uh, so, yes, it's possible he moves to the left side in August. We'll have to see what happens there. But you do have Caden Proctor, as you mentioned, who's also an elite five-star freshman coming in, just a gigantic human, um, who I think had a better game than, than um, Pritchett on, on Saturday. And I think that is a, certainly a spot where we could see Proctor start uh, by the fall. And whether it's maybe you move Proctor to the right side and you have Pritchett on the, or uh, uh, Latham on the left side, we'll have to see. But – I don't think it was a good game for Pritchett, and that was, you know, from the first-team offensive standpoint, uh, definitely a weak link. Okay. That's interesting. Proctor, obviously, an Iowa kid, was committed to Iowa. Alabama flipped him late. That's a big get. There's a couple of these. There's a third, and we're going to move to defense now. The top three freshmen who early enrolled, Caden Proctor, Justice Haynes, and Caleb Downs at safety, all seem to be making an impact. We'll start at the secondary. We know Alabama loses Jordan Battle. We know they lose Brian Branch. We know they lose DeMarco Hellams. But Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terion Arnold at corner might be pretty good. And now you're working in Caleb Downs. And Saban, is Saban saying awesome things about Caleb Downs as a five-star early enrolled freshman? Could he start in the secondary in the fall, even though the secondary seems like it might be in good shape? Yeah, definitely a favorite to start. Could be their best player in the secondary if he continues along this trajectory. And even Kevin Steele telling ESPN guys that he doesn't look like a freshman. He looks like a senior. And there's, I think, reasons for that. The bloodlines are really strong with Caleb Downs. His brother, you know, is Josh Downs, who played at North Carolina, is going to get drafted this week. Uh, His uncle is Dre Bly, uh, the former NFL corner, who was also coach at North Carolina. Uh, so, you know, he could have gone to Georgia. He's from Georgia. Uh, that was a big recruiting win for Saban over Georgia to get Caleb Downs, who's a top six player in this class. Ohio State really, Ohio State really, really, really wanted Caleb Downs. Mm-hmm. I think he would have been number one on their list of guys in this class that they wanted, and they thought they had a shot, and that was felt in Columbus when Alabama won that battle. Yeah, and I, I think if we're sitting here at the end of the year talking about like MVPs of this Alabama team, he could be high on that list. Uh, there's certainly a possibility there. Um, but yeah, that's one safety spot. Malachi Moore, who's kind of been their fifth or sixth defensive back his first three years, is probably going to move to safety and, and start at the other spot. Uh, that's that's a strong possibility. And then, yeah, corner. You have Cooley McKinstry, who I think has been good. I don't think he's been elite, but he certainly has potential to get there here as a junior. Um, and then the other spot was Terry and Arnold, who started to start last year and really lost his job to Eli Ricks. The LSU transfer came in, had a very slow start, eventually started over Arnold. Uh, Arnold had some issues of penalties and gave up some plays early in the year. Even when he came back in, when Ricks was hurt late in the year, had some issues. So that's that's a question mark. We'll have to see how how far Arnold has come along. Um, and then, you know, and the fifth defensive back in Alabama system is pretty important. You're always on the field. Right now, it looks like Earl Little with also strong bloodlines. His dad was an NFL safety. Um, 
is probably their slot guy, the, the sophomore. So you're looking at, depending on how you look at Arnold, who started last year but didn't finish last year as a starter, four new starters in the secondary, um, which is turnover. It's uncertainty. There's a lack of experience, but not a lack of talent. And especially when we look at downs, you know, that's that's kind of the wild card. If he can be that Minka Fitzpatrick type safety, then uh, they're in pretty good shape back there. Did Little have the pick on Ty, on Ty Simpson at the one-yard line? He did. It was a very good play on his yeah, part. Okay. Um, a throw I think Simpson probably could have put a little more juice on, but I, that was actually two plays after Simpson juked Earl Little in the open field uh, on a run, so okay. he got his revenge in that. Yeah, that was a nice – so that was like the pick that then – then Alabama gets on the one yard line. Then the next throw, Millroad throws the pick mm-hmm. down the middle on the ball. He shouldn't have thrown, but the Simpson pick was more a good, good play by the DB there. Losing Will Anderson, are, who is there going to? Who's the biggest impact guy? I guess Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell didn't play in the spring game, right? So we didn't get to see them. We like Jihad Campbell flashed a little bit. I don't know. There's always going to be somebody in the front seven. Who's going to be the game changing, difference making kind of guy? Is it Dallas Turner? Yeah. It- Probably Turner or Braswell, and those are both five-star kids. I mean, Braswell came in in Will Anderson's class. They had three five-star outside linebackers in the 2020 class. It was Anderson, Drew Sanders, who transferred to Arkansas and is now a second-round pick in the NFL this week, and Braswell, who's kind of hung around behind them, uh, not as much playing time, but now has a chance to become a starter. Turner came in the next class as a five-star kid and, and has played really well, maybe not to the level of Anderson, but that's a good duo. Um, and then they have another five-star who came in the year after and Jeremiah Alexander, who, you know, I think has been a little bit quieter early on, but has potential to play. And then, oh yeah, there's two more five-stars that have coming in at outside linebacker this summer. <laughs> and uh, Yonze Pierre and um, Keon Keeley, who they flipped from Notre Dame. And, um, you know, we haven't seen them yet, but they're going to be sitting there in September with – five five-star outside linebackers I mean they've recruited the heck out of that position the last five years or so uh just outside linebacker upon outside linebacker because that's where their pass rush comes from their defensive linemen is usually only two of them on the field and they're just kind of eating up space and they have Jaheim Otis who can be an impact player who's lost 75 pounds and he oh. still weighs 325 pounds oh because he came into Alabama at 415 pounds uh as a freshman last year and uh you know, played right away because he had lost a bunch of weight over the summer. And, you know, he's a good player, but they don't really have that Quinn and Williams type. Like they've missed that really disruptive defensive lineman who can get up the field. Uh, they've, they've had a lot of space eaters that have done a good job, but I don't know if that's where their impact is going to come from. And then an inside linebacker, they've lost both of their starters there, Henry Toto and Jalen Moody. Uh, but they kind of had a guy in, in Deontay Lawson, who was a pretty highly rate, rated kid two years ago, who started working in with Moody. Looked like he was going to become a starter by the end of the year. He's been out this spring. He had a shoulder surgery, so we didn't get to see him. Um, but he's, I'd say, potential to be a you know pretty important player in the middle of that defense. And like you mentioned, Jihad Campbell is really the other uh, potential starter at inside linebacker. And they did get only two transfers this offseason. One of them was an inside linebacker uh, in uh, Tresman Marshall from Georgia, who was, you know, obviously Georgia just has layers of linebackers they've used the last couple of years. He was a bit lower down that list, but also a guy who could get on the field, um, if not play some special teams for him as well. Okay. I looked up one more thing that I'm going to throw in here because I forgot to say it before because I did 
10 minutes of research, so then I got to put it on the podcast. I looked at the quarterback run game under Saban. The only two times that any quarterback has run the ball 100 times in a season under Nick Saban is the Jalen Hurts years in 16 and 17. He's never used the quarterback run as a part of his offense, really, other than that with Jalen Hurts. And so my suggestion would be, do that. I just, I can't get over how special Jalen Milrose seems to be with the ball in his hands. And by the way, Ty Simpson can move too. You have two quarterbacks who can move. Go back to that. I don't know about this. Again, this this podcast may be obsolete by the time you hear it, if they've dropped a gigantic quarterback transfer on top of this competition. But it feels like to me, defense, Justice Haynes, Jace McClellan, some quarterback run game, control the ball. Like, let's go back. Like, let's go back in the the old Saban playbook. You you've you've reached the peak of passing quarterbacks. I don't know that Nick Saban will ever have. I, I, I would guess he won't. That Bryce Young will be the best quarterback to have played at Alabama for Nick Saban by the time he's done. So let's go back to the old days, man. When you weren't worried about that, who cares if you didn't have a great quarterback who could throw the ball? You won in other ways. So if you don't have Derrick Henry. Then use what you have, which is two quarterbacks who seem like they can scoot. One of them who seems elite, elite, elite at it. Have Jalen Hurts come down and give a motivational speech, man. Let's run the quarterback <laughs> in, in Alabama this year. Yeah, that's that would be the offense, I think, if it was Milrow that they would try to run. It would be the 2016-2017 offense. But let's keep in mind that had an expiration date. Um, 2017, Jalen Hurts, national championship game. They could not do anything through the air. Nick Saban makes a decision at halftime to bring in Tua because Tua can throw the ball. And they win the national championship game. And starting in 2018, that offense was completely different. And they were just, it was like the big 12, um, starting with Tua in 2018 and really ever since. So, I again, I think Saban kind of reached a realization where if I'm going to win, I'm going to need a quarterback and I'm going to need a passing game. And I still think that's that's where he falls on this. Maybe have Jalen Hurts bring his gigantic NFL contract in and be like, "Are you sure you were right? You moved the year, you know, you benched me at halftime of the national championship game. I had to transfer. Are you sure? Are you sure, Nick? So I understand what you're saying, but also until unless Bryce Young walks through the door, maybe a Jalen Hurts style offense isn't such a bad thing. Okay, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the LSU spring game. Because there's other people out there who played spring games this past Saturday. And then we'll have a final segment with Mike where we talk about Nick Saban's last stand. We'll do all that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug Lamarie's back. We got to talk a little LSU because the question after watching these two spring games last Saturday is, is Alabama even the best team in the SEC West? LSU, I thought, a lot of people thought, looked really good. And you start with the quarterback position, as we just talked about with Mike. Jaden Daniels looks smooth, looks ready, looks in control as a returning starter there. 10 of 11 in that game. And we don't get hung up on stats, but you get hung up on efficiency and explosiveness. And that's what Brian Kelly's talking about after that game. 10 of 11, 168, two touchdowns. Brian Kelly liked the quarterback play, and here's why. Garrett Nussmeyer is the second guy up at LSU. He is in the same recruiting class as Jalen Milrow. And in that class, he was ranked one spot ahead of Jalen Milrow 
among the quarterbacks. No, one spot behind. Jalen Milrow was the number 13 quarterback in the class of 2021. Garrett Nussmeyer at LSU, the number 14 quarterback. And this is the difference. This is when you have somebody like that in year three who might be ready but doesn't have to be ready. Garrett Nussmeyer was 5 of 8 for 139, and he was playing with the second team, and, and Brian Kelly was saying, hey, man, he might have even done some things better than Jaden Daniels because Jaden Daniels had the first team with him. But Garrett Mus- Nussmeyer looked like maybe he could be ready if he had to be, but he doesn't have to be because Jaden Daniels is back, and Jaden Daniels has a chance to be, as a veteran quarterback at LSU, a Heisman contender. And so at Al- Alabama – you have a third-year guy and a second-year guy, and someone's got a season. At LSU, you have a veteran in Jaden Daniels, the transfer from Arizona State, who was there last year. And then you have Garrett Nussmeyer. And it just looks so different in the spring when you have this. And it makes me think that this opening weekend game between LSU and Florida State, which we have talked about, Shahan and I have talked about on the show, we're going to talk about, everybody in college football is going to talk about leading up to the season. It's by far the biggest game of opening weekend. And I think it's going to be a version of what we got with Clemson and, and Georgia two years ago. Coming into that game two years ago, Clemson was three, Georgia was five. Georgia wins and thus begins back-to-back national title runs. And thus begins kind of a sag a little bit from Clemson. That is a line in the sand of who's Bama's primary competition. Well, it had been Clemson in the first seven years of the playoff era. And then Georgia beat Clemson head-to-head, and away we go. Here we are. LSU, Florida State, it's going to be on the Sunday of opening weekend in Orlando. Last year, the Florida State-LSU game was kind of a clown show. Florida State blows a two-touchdown lead in the final four minutes. minutes. LSU rallies, but then Florida State blocks the extra point on the last play of the game. So it's not a tie. Florida State hangs on and wins by a point. It's a mess. The game's a mess. And both teams are bringing a lot back. And both teams are not going to be a mess anymore. Both teams showed – I laughed. I laughed. I made fun of that LSU Florida State game. I think it was week two last year, actually. And we are in a different world here. And I think Jaden Daniels for LSU, Jordan Travis for Florida State in that opening weekend, that's two veteran quarterbacks. I think both teams have a chance to be ranked in the top five. They'll both definitely be ranked in the top 10. And it has a chance to set a tone for the season. And the loser's not out. The loser's not out. They just have less wiggle room in a 14 playoff era. But there's reason. I've already said it. Listen, last week with Shahan, Florida State had its spring game two Saturdays ago. I thought Florida State looked as good as anybody in the country. And I said, coming out of that, Shahan went, whoa. I said, I thought right now, if I'm voting AP preseason, I'm putting Florida State and Michigan as my top two teams. LSU's in my top five. Jane Daniels looks good. Malik Neighbors, great returning receiver, looks good. And now they have people emerging. Kyron Lacey is one of the stars of that game. Four for 92, had a 70-yard touchdown on a one-handed catch over the middle, broke a bunch of tackles on the way to the end zone. And it's depth. It's a depth of talent at a position like receiver. And Brian Kelly's talking to the game, hey, we got to push the ball down the field. He liked that both quarterbacks in that game were efficient and pushing the ball down the field because he said, we have so many talented guys. If we don't try to get in the ball down the field and let them make plays, they're going to get frustrated. Kyron Lacey is going to be that compliment to Malik Neighbors. Kyron Lacey is 6'2", 212. We're talking about big-time LSU guys who look the part. Brian Collins fills in there. Malik Neighbors, as we said, fills in there. Malik Neighbors is listed at six foot 199. Uh, let's see. Brian Collins, he looked uh, – Brian Thomas, excuse me, why am I saying Brian Collins? Brian Thomas, 6'4", 201. 
if those are your top three receivers for LSU, you are in really good shape. Now, running game, I was trying to make a trade when we were doing our mega trades a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to trade a running back to LSU. They have multiple guys in that room, four deep, couple freshmen coming in as well. Brian Kelly says, don't sleep on Noah Kane, the Penn State transfer. He said he was a little choppy last year running the ball. He's smoother now. So keep your eye out for Noah Kane. And he's going to be running behind a super experienced offensive line. They basically bring everybody back from an offensive line that had some issues last year. But with the experience, you can see why they'll get better. And they started two true freshmen at tackle last year. Two true freshmen. Will Campbell at left tackle. According to PFF, in the SEC, among guys who played at least 50% of the snaps for their team, was the fifth highest graded tackle in the SEC as a true freshman. That's unbelievable. Number 36 overall recruit in the class of 2022. And on the right side, you had Emory Jones. He's the number 110 overall recruit in the class of 2022. They're both back as second-year guys who are second-year starting tackles. A bunch of experienced guys in the middle. So. Depth in the running back room, watch out for Noah Kane to emerge. Experienced offensive line with with some high elite talent at the tackle spots that were getting their feet wet last year. Imagine how much better they'll be there. Depth of big-bodied, big-play receivers, and then two quarterbacks. I think Garrett Nussmeyer would be ready to start for a bunch of Power 5 contenders right now, but Jaden Daniels is going to be the guy. That's what we're talking about with the LSU offense. This is ready to go. Defensively, they have eight transfers in there too deep on defense. So they are adding. And you can see, you you can't just add transfers willy-nilly. But there's there's a, a, a transfer pairing here that I think might be as good as what anybody in the country is doing in terms of bringing somebody in to highlight what you already have. And that is Omar Spates at linebacker. Four-year player at Oregon State, first-team All-Pac-12 last year, wants to try to win a national championship. He picks LSU. LSU brings him in, and now they're going to pair him at inside linebacker with Harold Perkins, who is one of the most talented defensive players in the country. He's a second-year player, was more on the outside last year about rushing the passer. They're making him more of a linebacker. And you have to look for clues in this stuff. I I thought we got a clue from Brian Kelly about Harold Perkins after the game. This is a quote from Brian Kelly's post-spring game news conference. Perkins was really good. And the plays that kind of stand out to me is we ran a counter and he was able to slip the second puller and make a TFL play, a tackle for loss. That requires training, and he's been really good picking those things up. So I think all in all, the development of Harold at the linebacker, the position, and then the addition of Omar, those guys have been really big for us. So this is what we're talking about. Here's the clue. Harold Perkins is talented, but Brian Kelly is picking out a tiny little thing on a read and a technique and make a tackle for loss, not because you're faster than everybody, you're stronger than everybody, because you read the play the right way and you make watch out. They're taking this guy and they're putting him inside. Watch out. And then you have Omar Spates in there with him and you have a chance for something here. They brought in a bunch, a bunch of transfers at corner. Denver Henry among them, former huge recruit. They're going to have a chance to be good in the secondary, 
in that middle level at linebacker to be dynamic. And then Ovi Ogofu, who's a transfer from Texas, had been at Notre Dame with Brian Kelly, was at Texas for two years, now is at LSU. He's a guy off the edge, didn't have huge stats at Texas, but he could do some things, get in the backfield. He's another guy that Brian Kelly mentioned that showed up this spring. You have you have playmakers potentially on defense. And again, this is a a team that is adding guys, I think, they're making big changes. They're making big changes in the twin in the transfer portal, but there's a plan to it. Uh, Braden Swinson had a, had a tackle for loss in the spring game. He's from Oregon, another guy in the defensive line that has a chance to make an impact. So I think when you you talk about the depth that they are bringing back with their own guys on the offensive line, you're talking about some impact transfers to add to a guy like Harold Perkins on the defensive side of the ball. Veteran quarterback play, depth of depth of receiver play, big just. Watch out. I think this is real. And you want to you don't want to get caught up only in the quarterbacks, but it is hard in spring not to look at the teams that have quarterbacks back and just watch how much more efficiently and smoothly the offense run and I thought Jaden Daniels looked really good. So compare that to Georgia and Carson Beck looked good for Georgia. But compare that to what's happening at Alabama, compare that to Ohio State working in somebody like Kyle McCord. And just what you're getting from Jordan Travis at Florida State, Jaden Daniels at LSU, Michael Penix at Washington, who we'll talk about in a future podcast, Caleb Williams at USC. It's just a different animal. And it matters so much. It's hard not to lean on that. So watch out for LSU. I would put them high on my list. I think we are talking about a setting the table for a playoff team with the winner of that Florida State LSU game in week one on Sunday. So it's going to be a Sunday. It's like before the NFL starts. So if you're like, yeah, go hang out on the Sunday, just still put that on your calendar. Florida State, LSU. And Bama's got to be aware of that. LSU, by the way, defending West Champ, right? Remember that? Made the SEC title game last year, beat Alabama last year. That's what we're talking about. They're building on something. And so I thought the Brian Kelly move, like, listen, man, we were kind of laughing at Brian Kelly. And what is he doing? We're laughing at the accent. We're laughing at the dancing videos, and then they looked a little goofy to start last year. But like it's happening at LSU. There's a, there's a, a baseline of competence there, and they took some bumps last year, just like Florida State and Mike Norvell took a lot of bumps the last couple of years. But they got it straightened out in the second half of last season, and they have a chance to really do something this year. So keep your eye on LSU. Okay, wanted to make sure we hit them. Those are the two teams that we're going to talk about on this podcast, if we try to run through spring, we just had to lean into Bama a little bit extra. So when we come back, we're going to wrap it up with Mike Rodak, but it's not going to be as much about the spring as it is going to be about Nick Saban and where he is in his career and what it means for Alabama as a program. We'll do that right after this on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, we're back with Mike Rodak here on the College Football Survivor Show. And Mike, the, the culture, the 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 vibe of Alabama, it was sort of a, a passing moment that Nick Saban had in a podcast, but it seems like everybody in college football took note of it. Nick Saban acknowledging that, hey, there's people out there who are kind of doing our thing. And he didn't say the name, but of course he means Georgia. And he said, people are having success with it. And he said, we've got to get it back. We just described at the start of this podcast, Mike, well, we don't know about the quarterback. Well, we don't know about the receivers. Well, I don't know. They got to figure out what they're doing with the tackles. 
well, you know, the defense should be pretty good, but man, they, you know, they lost Jordan Battle and Brian Branch and Will Anderson and a bunch of dudes. But here we are with a Nick Saban team that did not even make the SEC championship game last year. And he is acknowledging, even for him to nod at Georgia, because we all say it. It's like, oh, what's Kirby doing? Kirby's doing the whole young Saban thing. Kirby right now is what Saban was in, in eight and nine at Alabama. Like he's getting it going. What did you, did you think that meant something? Was that a peak inside Nick Saban's brain? Is this, this 70 year old guy saying, oh, 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 y'all like Kirby smart now, do you? Well, first of all, I taught him everything he knows. And second of all, remember who's the boss. It's me, Nick Saban. Where is Saban first? And we'll talk about what it means for the program. From a personal standpoint, this prideful guy who might be the best head coach in college football history, where do you think he is right now with how he's thinking about his ability to coach and what the world is trying to do to him? Yeah, it was a really interesting segment of that uh, that podcast last week where they had the producer kind of hop in and ask Saban what book he's reading right now. And he he mentioned that he likes to read history books and he was reading a book about kind of how cultures rise and fall over time, civilizations rising and falling. And that kind of, you know, rang a bell in the the host of the podcast brain where he said, well, isn't that kind of like your football team <laughs> where other people are, are trying to attack your culture or bring you down, like, you know, civilizations of 2000 years ago. And that's when Saban kind of made the off the cuff remark of, uh, you know, people have been trying to do that for a while and somebody's been successful the last couple of years and we need to take it back. You know, like, whoa. <laughs> and yeah, I think as much as like maybe is Saban innocuously just kind of reading a history book and being a history buff, like he's also a guy who doesn't really turn it off. And I would imagine there's some sort of uh, carryover in his brain in between reading that book and, and kind of getting motivated or trying to understand his current situation because it's different. This is different than what... um really where Saban's been since he's been at Alabama, where he's kind of having to go back to being the hunter and instead of the hunted. And um, you know, it's, it's hard to deny. I, I do think there's a little bit of a crisis between certain Alabama fans because there's some that are still ardent in saying, well, no, Georgia has to prove it over 10 years before they can say that they're the best team now. Like what Alabama did, like they need to win four more titles. Uh, before they can say they're the best and, and they've taken over Alabama, which I think it's pretty clear the last couple of years, like Georgia has taken over Alabama as the best team in college football. I think that's hard to deny. But then you have Alabama fans that recognize that, uh, but they say Saban's going to get his revenge. And they, they go back to that national championship halftime show this year when Saban's on ESPN and David Pollock is talking about Georgia becoming the best team in college football and the camera kind of pans to Saban just kind of glaring and, and people are saying, Oh no, they set off Saban. He's going to, he's going to go on his revenge tour this year. And I say to that, he's on a revenge tour in 2022 after they lost the 2021 national championship to Georgia. And that fell flat. They lost two games last year. They missed the playoffs. He was on a revenge tour in 2019 after they had lost to Clemson in the national championship game and got embarrassed in that game. And they lost two games that year, missed the playoffs. So I don't know what the Saban revenge tour looks like because the last couple of times they've done it, it hasn't looked very good. Um, and it's just kind of reaching the point, too, where the clock is ticking in terms of Saban's career at 72 years old this year. Um, at 
it, it's a strange, it's a different spot for him. And yeah, I, I, I do think it's a small things too. I mean, it's just the, their, their spring game was on like a streaming only broadcast and ESPN instead was airing Colorado spring game because Deion Sanders is a better draw apparently than Alabama. Georgia spring game is on TV because they're defending national championships. Alabama's wasn't. Um, it just kind of that small slippage that it's weird to see. Um, you know, and I, I covered the NFL. I, I came from New England. You can see it with the Patriots when their dynasty started to slip. It's not this clear drop. Sometimes it's just incrementally you start to lose it. And then look where the Patriots are now. They're probably the fourth best team in that division. Look over where Alabama is now. They're not the best team in the SEC. You can make an argument they weren't the second best team in the SEC last year. You can make an argument they weren't the third. Um, and just kind of incrementally kind of falls down a little bit. So, look, sitting in the press box on Saturday, watching the spring game, this is the fifth Alabama team that I've covered. Based on that small sample size, this is the worst of those five teams that I've covered. The most limited in terms of quarterback and receiver and the elite talent that I've seen going back to 2019. Does that mean they can't win a national championship? No. And if they do, then the paradigm shifts back to Alabama and how does Saban keep it going? But if they miss the playoff, or let's just say they make the playoff, they they don't win a national championship this year, there's going to be questions about Alabama. If they miss the playoff entirely, there's going to be big questions about Alabama uh, by the end of this year. So yes, I think you can tell just listening to Saban that there's, there's an urgency you know, to, to get this back to where it was. And I think a recognition and a realization that it is not where it was. Um, and that's, that's where they are right now. And that's, again, a very strange spot to see them. It's, it's interesting for, to hear your, your take on that. Cause it's really smart because a lot of times this always happens when people talk about like, uh, teams records in big games. It's like, Oh, they, they lose all their big games. It's like, well, they actually won these other big games that, you don't remember as big games because they won. And it's, you know what I mean? Like the, our memories, we we forget the things that we don't want to remember. So to me, on the outside, I'm like, hey, before the 2020 season, all I talked about was Angry Bama. After what Joe Burrow and LSU did in 2019, I was like, oh my God, oh, Angry Bama. And then we saw what happened. Maybe Saban's best team in 2020, just a dominant performance. But it's nice to be angry. It's also nice to have Devontae Smith. It's also nice to have Najee Harris. You know, it's nice. It's nice to have what Patrick Sertan, right? I mean, it's like there's, there's, it's, you can be angry. You can get your back up about things, but then you've got to back it up with talent. You have to have, if you feel like your culture or your program are being threatened, that's a great motivator. I love the idea of Saban being a hunter, not the hunted, but you got to have the right equipment. You can't be out in the, you know, crawling around in the woods. You know, with a with a with a with a slingshot, right? I mean, like, what do you like? What do you have? And so then you look and say, well, who who are the weapons? Who how who do who does he have to deploy? So I love the idea of of Nick Saban, past seventy years old, being like, okay, you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Let's do it. But then you look and say, well, where's Derrick Henry? <laughs> Where's Devontae Smith? Where's Bryce Young? And it's hard from the outside, Mike. The idea that they had probably the best, most talented offensive player. Caleb Williams would give you an argument, right? But Bryce Young is as good as anybody. And maybe the best, most talented defensive player in Will Anderson and didn't make the playoff. And now do you have Will Anderson and do you have Bryce Young? That's hard to get past. And I want to watch this. I want to watch sort of angry Nick Saban because I love it. 
But then we talk about football and you wonder if the horses are there. And and part of it is the transfer portal, which has been, you know, under the current rules, two years now. And I think when it first started, when everything was loosened up, people were saying the rich get richer. That Alabama, because they added, remember, Jamison Williams and, and Henry Toe yep. Toe right away when that opened up. And it was Alabama's just going to collect the best players in the country. And that, I think, was true at the beginning. People thought it was true last year when they go out and get Jameer Gibbs, which worked out. They got Tyler Steen, which worked out. But then they got Eli Ricks, which did not work out. They got Tyler Harrell, which did not work out. And they got Jermaine Burton, which sort of kind of worked out. Um, and in the meantime, they're losing volume-wise three times, four times as many players through the portal. And that's kind of the silent killer for them is, yeah, they have – and people will say, well, Alabama is not falling off because look at their recruiting classes. And that's true. They're still number one or number two pretty much every year. But look where those guys are a year down the road. Look where they are two years down the road. They have five-star, four-star kids coming in every year. But then they lose five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them within two years. That's kind of been the trend as this has opened up with the portal. There's 14 players that they lost in this winter transfer portal window. They added two. And again, one of them could be a special teams backup linebacker. Uh, so far in this spring portal, they've lost three. And it's not like, and people look at some of these guys, and like, well, he only played three games. He was a backup. These are historically the next guys up at Alabama. These are the guys that develop when they're juniors or seniors to become the starters who replace the guys who are going to the draft. And Alabama this year has 13 players going in to the draft, 15 really. They could have 13 players drafted. And there's not that second tier, that second wave of players on their roster, that middle class last year, because a lot of those guys came in, they didn't play right away, they got frustrated with their playing time, and they transferred somewhere else. And so now they're trying to replace those guys they lost through the draft with transfers, and they've been very selective in doing that this year or freshmen, and they could have success in doing that with guys like Downs and Proctor and Haynes, but they may not be successful at other spots. So that's kind of their conundrum is that that train that just kept moving and you'd have that next player ready to go. Well, that next player now is gone by the time that he's ready to go because he wants to go someplace else and potentially get paid or, or potentially play and, and do something at a different school. And that's happened a lot. And that's really changed the, the dynamic of how they build their roster every year and, and how they deal with all the players that they lose to the NFL. This is one of those things where I think college football is getting what it wanted, which is a, a greater diversity of teams at the top. We were in this era where early in the playoff era, it was Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Oklahoma. And three of those four were there every year. And people were like, man, this is getting old and stale. What are we doing? And now we have a world where Georgia has come up. And and I think what's happening with Ohio State and Michigan in the Big Ten is sort of like a junior version of what's happening with Alabama and Georgia in the SEC, that there was this second team that was always very good but couldn't get past the other team. And now that team has gotten past them. Georgia's gotten past Alabama. Michigan's gotten past Ohio State and won the last two Big Ten titles. And from the for everybody else, it's great. And then Ohio State and Alabama, people are like, well, what's wrong? How come you aren't doing the same thing you were doing previously? And it's like, well... The world's changed a little bit, and also other teams are good, and we maybe aren't able to keep us rolling, keep it rolling as much. And that's what NIL and the transfer portal is supposed to do. It's supposed to provide more opportunities. But when we zero in, Mike, on teams that have been at the top, looking from the inside out, 
it's not as fun for those teams because Alabama fans are saying, hey, we have a standard. And by the way, Saban hasn't finished outside of the top 10 since his first year at Alabama. So like, it's not like they're gone. But when you're talking about who's the best program in college football, you can't dispute us Georgia right now. When you talk about is Bama at the very top of national title contenders right now, where they're trying to figure out who their quarterback is. So they're probably not. I thought Florida State looked great. I'd be if you're telling me who do you want to be for 2023, I'd take Florida State ahead of Alabama right now. Also, Florida State's been in a hole for a decade, so you'd take Alabama's last ten years, you know, a thousand to one over Florida State. But this is the sport, Mike, and we'll finish with this. This is the sport. This is the culture. This is the reality. The 12 team playoff is going to accentuate this as well. I think you want more opportunity because everybody. Not who weren't Alabama fans, weren't Clemson fans, weren't Ohio State fans, weren't Oklahoma fans. We're getting sick of what the playoff had been. But if you are an Alabama fan, man, you loved it. And maybe it's not going to quite be that way anymore. You can even go the other direction and say Alabama fans might actually grow to enjoy the 12 team playoff because if you're not, if they were like last year, the fifth or sixth best team in the college football playoff and they're out, then maybe this provides them an opportunity to be in. And to kind of have an opportunity when they wouldn't have otherwise in a 14 playoff because they've dropped out of that top four group of teams. So that could be beneficial to Alabama. But you're right. The entire paradigm of college football shifts with the 12 team playoff, even with Alabama specifically, uh, there's a shift in what they've done schedule wise, where used to have these, you know, these neutral site bowl games starting every year where they stopped doing that this past year, they go to Texas last year and they, came very close to losing. They had to hit a field goal at the end of that game to win that game. Texas comes to Alabama week two this year with Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy, who tore up this defense in the first quarter of that game last year before Ewers got hurt. What if Texas comes in week two and and beats them? Going forward, you have Alabama going to Wisconsin in a future year. You have them going to Tallahassee to play Florida State. Further down the road, there's Ohio State games. There's Notre Dame, like, it's not a given Alabama just marches through their schedule anymore because they have potentially every year a road game in September against a high-quality non-conference opponent that they, they they could lose, and it could be totally different the rest of the year if you're talking about a one-loss Alabama team in September, which isn't something we're not used to at all. Um, so everything's going to shift, and it's going to be it's going to be different. Again, it, it might not be a bad thing for Alabama if there is a 12-team playoff, and if they have a loss or two losses by the middle of the year, it actually saves them a little bit. Uh, compared to what was true in, in years past. So I I love the entire discussion. I think it's fascinating. I, I don't, at the very least, you know, same as not going down without a fight. And maybe the most important name you said on this podcast, Mike, might be Julian Sand. That might be the thing. That just like give like Saban one more year of like maybe Bama not quite being Bama. And let him roll the dice and say, we're rolling with the freshman quarterback in 2024. Watch out. I got my guy again. You think Bryce Young was the peak? Let's do this. Let me give you three years of this guy. He might just be waiting for that. But that, but they got to figure out quarterback right now mm-hmm. for 2023 first. So Mike Rodak from AL.com, tremendous coverage. You, if you care about Alabama, and I th- the thing I think about stuff like this, maybe you think you don't care about Alabama, but Alabama affects your team. What Alabama does affects everything in college football. So go read AL.com. It's the best Alabama coverage that you will find. Mike Rodak, we love having you on the show. Thanks so much for making more time for us here on the College Football Survivor Show. You got it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, you guys, for listening. 
We'll be back with uh, another round of spring football wrap-ups. we got some good ones lined up for the second show this week. I think we might talk about Deion Sanders and Colorado, even though they only have like 11 guys left on the roster. But we'll work them into our discussion for now. For Mike Rodak, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.